Hello and welcome to the Who Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Tuesday afternoon. Joining me from Naples, Florida, our front office insider, Bobby Marks. Hi, Bobby. Gentlemen, how are we doing? I figured it's uh, it's two o'clock uh, Eastern time, and uh, you know every Tuesday that the, the guy in the lawnmower comes by that window, just buzzing by. You know, luckily we're not we're not jumping on TV in an hour and a half, but I feel like it's just customary that we've got the <laughs> lawnmower going out there. That's that's first world problems, Bobby. <laughs> I know because it's not. I know that's that's some <laughs> random guy doing it for you. I, it is. That's Florida problems, Bobby, because. <laughs> yeah. uh, no more, no more grass cutting where I live for the long-term foreseeable future. All the grass is done being cut uh, for a long time. Uh, that voice you heard joining us from Oakland, California, is Anscape Mark J. Spears, our resident Hall of Famer. What's up, Spears? Oh, man, just uh, trying to recover from all the smoky hotels in Las Vegas. So yeah, man, you know, nasally. <laughs> you know, um, you and I got to spend a little bit of time out in Vegas with uh, John Halliburton, Tyrese's dad. The world knows John Halliburton now. They didn't know him a week ago. Yeah. Um, one of the great characters, the sort of, you know, now he's on TNT. Now he's on, you know, I think he told me that they had a mic'd up. I don't know. It's going to be for an NBA thing later on during the championship hey. game. He had a story um, in Anscape. Story in Anscape. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he's known now. I mean, uh, but what a, what a great character and um nice guy man just just beautiful guy to be around great great energy yeah you know um he's talked about how his dad is his biggest cheerleader and his mom and his mom can be his biggest critic that's sort of the inverse of so many parents yeah usually it's his dad who's the critic and mom who's the biggest cheerleader but uh yeah that's that was it was terrific but uh yeah he's a he loves you spears john loves you so that was good to see now (laughs) <laughs> where I want to talk to start off this discussion about the opposite end of the spectrum for the teams that were in Vegas. So right now we have a league that, and this has been the case for the last few years, but is very bloated in the middle. There's something like 20 some teams that are either above 500 or within two games of 500. And, you know, 20 teams make the postseason. So you have this really giant middle class in the NBA, but you've got, this absolute horrid bottom of the league that is absolutely getting just record-setting level of embarrassment at the bottom of the league going through these miserable losing streaks, namely the Detroit Pistons who lost their 20th consecutive game on Monday night. They are now 2-21. and They actually started the season 2-1, and which I didn't remember, but they are now 2-21 and for the year, 20 straight losses, Monty Williams came out after the game and I don't, I think he kind of ran out of stuff to say, but he said, I, I'm seeing some encouraging signs. I was like, you are, <laughs> you know, you got to say what you got to say. And then in the West, you have the San Antonio Spurs who lost on Monday night and they have now lost 17 in a row. They are three and 19 uh, on the season. And I don't want to, uh, the, the losing streaks have the attention of everybody and, and, rightly so but the washington wizards have lost nine out of ten and they are three and 19 they actually have the same record as the spurs um they don't have that uh, losing streak hanging over the top of them they've lost only lost 45 yes uh they've only lost five in a row but bobby when you were uh in those 20 years with the nets i know there you had some teams that reached the finals but you had some bad teams in there what was the longest losing streak that you had to contend with when you were with the with the nets 
Well, it's funny. Every year when the schedule comes out, I look at the teams that are predicted to finish in the bottom and I kind of can, can they break our record in 2009, 10, which was 18 to start the season. And that record is still standing there. And I look at, you know, I look back on that time back then is, is different than what Detroit and, and San Antonio is going through a little bit too, because we made a coaching change you know, during the Lawrence Frank was relieved right around Thanksgiving. Tom Barese came in for two games and then the rarity is we, we, uh, I don't know. Well, it wasn't promotion. I guess it's the demotion. Kiki Vandeway, who was the GM went and became interim, uh, interim head coach different here with when you talk about Detroit and San Antonio, because I don't see Greg Popovich going anywhere in San Antonio. And certainly with, with Detroit, with Monty Williams, who just signed that big contract. The two, these two coaches, Popovich and, and Monty Williams have the two, largest <laughs> coaching contracts in the history of the NBA. Pop is reported by Woj five years, 80 million. And what was Monty's five years and 70? I think 13 per somewhere around there in that neighborhood. Yeah. So no, I don't think they're getting, <laughs> it's not quite the same. Yeah. I mean, uh, and two, you know, Detroit, I mean, listen, I mean, we could talk, have a three part mini series on Detroit going back to, you know, post, um, you know, Chauncey Billups era, how, they basically have been sitting in this bottom of the standings, uh, you know, youngest roster in the, in the NBA. San Antonio's has the sixth youngest roster um, right now. I'm going to get rid of the word tanking because I don't think, you know, we're, we're 20 games in not tanking. I'm going to say experimenting, right? These teams are kind well, of quite frankly, we had Jonathan Gavoni on last week. This yeah, draft, this is not a, this is not a draft. This is not a, this is not a tanking draft right now. I mean, you look at what both teams have, you know, with San Antonio, they've experimented. Jeremy Sohan at the point with uh, with Detroit. Monty's basically is, I think he's running out of options as far as how much he can kind of um, tinker with this roster. Asar Thompson starts, he comes off the bench. Um, you get Bogdanovic back, which certainly they're more, I think they're more competitive of late. You know, Washington at the other end, who you guys mentioned, is probably going on the, in, in the extreme. They lose by 45 in, in Philadelphia. But you're right. I mean, you, when you're sitting in the bottom, of the standings and you've got these low, those prolonged losing streaks. The worst thing to happen is you get, you know, you know, a split locker room, you get a divide. As I said, I look back on 09, 10, when Brian asked me to would talk about this, I went back and on January 23rd, we were three and 40 oh. on February 23rd. We were five and 52. Wow. So looking up at the standings and what happens is it just creates that you're accustomed to losing. You're, you're accustomed to losing our group. Back then is a lot different than Detroit and San Antonio because the you know San Antonio's got nine players twenty three or younger. Detroit has um, eight players twenty three or younger. We didn't have you know we had Terrence Williams, Brooke Lopez, poor Courtney Lee was in the finals the year before with Orlando and we traded Vince Carter for him, and he not he I don't think he ever got over in his career being with with us in that oh nine ten season. He basically had you know um, you know PTSD here. And we had a we had about seven players that had six years of service or more, six veteran guys, which these teams don't. I would say for these teams, the goal is to go from where they started, at least from an individual standpoint, to where they are at the end of the year. And that should be a sign of achievement here. But you've got to keep this group together. Like you can't have it splinter apart. And that's going to be the job of Pop and, and Monty Williams. And we'll see in Washington with Wes Unsell Jr., you know, who's got an interesting mix because you've got, you know, Michael Winger, who's their head of basketball operations, inherited a lot, but certainly added Jordan Poole and the Chris Paul trade. A lot of the former draft picks 
you're trying to weed out who fits Corey Kispert, Johnny Davis, who, you know, we rarely see you're basically, this is kind of an audition for, for next year. Kuzma is the highest paid player. Um, Tyus Jones is a, probably a, a nice piece for a team that wants to contend who's on an expiring contract, but yeah, the losing streak takes its toll. Um, I mean, we had, I mean, the stories I can tell back Oh nine ten are, it's just, you know, you know, we had a guy that came in and it was a, um, like a witch doctor, you know, and, and, and basically did a, did a whole name? thing. Wait a minute. He was actually Jorge Posada's cousin. Okay, I thought he was talking about he had, he had a he was a witch doctor and he stuck a needle with no no nothing through his side of his face, no didn't numb it up or anything, and was was basically show like a, a it was a pain tolerance lesson here. I mean, we had Del Harris. Wait, I'm gonna uh, call timeout. <laughs> I'm gonna have to call timeout. Timeout. The witch doctor yeah. came in to speak to the team. He did. Yes. Who who set that up? I don't know. I don't want to throw people under the bus. You know here, that but... are, are, is our audience too young to remember the movie The Natural? Do you remember the movie The Natural, I where they where they're on the losing streak and they bring in that guy and he goes, "Losing is a disease, <laughs> as contagious." So, like, wait a minute. The wish wait, Jorge puts out his cousin and was like, did an exorcism. Like, what? What was? Yeah, he did it. You know, he basically did a. Yeah, I remember we were in our video room in our old practice facility and basically pulled out a needle and stuck it through the the side of his face here. To the point where, I, you know, I remember going back in that room and there's like bloody like uh, paper towels in like the trash can here. I'm thinking this is not this is not safe. What just transpired here? That was during the losing streak. It didn't help because we wound up losing 18 in a row there. <laughs> no kidding. Um, but we had such a we had such a mix of young players and old players, and there there became a divide. There was locker room issues. Um, certainly, when you have a um, somebody who is your um, GM acting as a head coach. That is going to happen. I don't see that happening in Detroit or San Antonio. We'll see what happens with the, with the Wizards here. It's just based, as I said, Monty, Pop, young team. But man, you've just got to keep these guys, these kids together. I mean, it's all about kind of you know from a developmental phase. Beers, you've been around. <laughs> Tell me about losing streaks. You ever see well, a witch? I, you ever have a witch doctor? No, no. I, I covered a 2002-2003 Denver Nuggets. And uh, their final record was extremely awful. They were uh, 17 and 65. Uh, They're coached by Jeff Bozdelic. They had guys like Chris Birdman Anderson, uh, Mark Blunt, Mark Bryant, Marcus Camby, Nene, a rookie Nene, and a rookie Nicholas Skittisfeely, James Posey, Shimon Williams, Rodney White, Jawan Howard. And they had losing streaks of eight. 10 and 14 they finished the season with an eight game losing streak the team was so bad that um they had a poll in some local paper or something like that about who was the most popular nugget and number one was rocky the mountain lion the mascot <laughs> number two was uh ryan bowen who was there you know a do-it-all player who would dive into the stands and save anybody's life who's now an assistant with the Nuggets. And and I just remember just how how miserable it was covering that team. I often will write about somebody else who was a star on the other team or if they had a Colorado tie of some sort. And there was one, Jawan Howard used to crack me up, man. And I love Jawan. So Jawan, don't be mad at me for saying this. Jawan. Jawan's got other problems right now. He ain't, yeah, Jawan right. uh, never talked after they lost. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't talk to him for weeks on end. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we rarely talked to Jawan. 
But Chris Whitney, God bless him, man. Chris Whitney would talk after every game, as long as you need him to talk. And one day I was like, man, Chris, like, you know, what makes you capable of doing all these interviews and talking about losing all the time? And I just remember him saying, hey, man, if I could talk when we can win, when we win, I, we could, I could talk when we lose. And I always respected that from him. But that was the, you know, the team that set up the Nuggets getting Carmelo Anthony, right? And, you know, but uh, Denver was certainly upset getting the third pick when I think they were tied with Cleveland, right, for the worst record. Yeah, classically, the Cavs this was fired a year before coach. you started covering the league. So right. that's right. I I covered them a little. I covered the Cavs a little bit during that season um, because uh, the guy who covered the team went to cover the Olympics, and I covered him for a while. But um, the Cavs fired their coach during that year. Fired John Lucas, and um, Keith Smart was the coach. But they won the last game of the regular season. The Cavs had a quote unquote lead. They had one fewer win than the Nuggets, and I think the team was sort of annoyed by what had been made of them to tanking. And so they had to lose the last night of the regular season to assure the number one worst record, which was the difference between having a 20% chance, uh, I'm sorry, a 25% chance of winning the first pick and like a 17% chance. It was like some 5 or 6% chance uh, difference between, and they ended up um, winning the last game of the season. So they, they lost for winning and tied with the Nuggets for the worst record. So they both uh, had equal. I think it cost them like 3 or 4% split the difference, whatever it was with the percentages back then. So, yeah. But in college, Spears, you uh, you played college basketball and you had a losing streak in college, right? You, you sort of dealt with that? <laughs> I'm actually, look, I'm wearing a sweater today. Uh, <laughs> Division two HBCU, the University of D.C., um, I, I was almost like an NIL guy, but I got nothing. The N stands for <laughs> nothing. I played at three different schools, but uh, after playing, uh, played at a junior college called Foothill in Los Altos, California. We went twenty-three and four, and won our conference. Went like three rounds in the state playoffs and lost. But then I get the scholarship at UDC, go to Washington D.C. One of my teammates and Bobby will like this was Amadou Fall. Uh, was the president of the Basketball Africa League now. And he, like, broke his wrist early in the season. We lost seven players because of grades and injuries. So we went, like, three and 24, man. It was it was awful. We were playing with, like, two walk-ons. We had one guy that just had, they, they added, that had a book scholarship only. And the, coach <laughs> was, the coach was threatening him, like, if you don't do better, I'm going to take your book scholarship. He would threaten him all the time. <laughs> and we were just getting our butt kicked night in, night out. And I just remember one game, man, finally had a chance to win. I was a horrible free throw shooter. I averaged like 65% from the field and 45% from the free throw line. You're like Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> well, not like Shaq, but in that regard, yes. <laughs> and we were up one, and I had a two shots. I missed both was so mad at myself for missing both that I fouled the guy who got the rebound. And then he had a one-on-one on the other end and they ended up beating us. And I still remember the guy in the stands yelling, number 34, you blew the game. You blew the <laughs> game, number 34. And we lost by like two points. And I went in the locker room, man, cried like a baby, man. I was so upset that we lost. I mean, it was, it, you know, it was a college level, not an NBA level, but just that, that losing, man, it just weighs on you because – at a point, you're just like, all right, I'm playing for my stats. 
right? I mean, if you know you're going to get your butt kicked, you're kind of like, I remember once I got scoring in double figures, I felt like I was, okay, I got, you know, what I needed for the game. Because that was um, really nothing to look forward to when you knew you were going to lose. It's it's a really weird situation. So you kind of end up just playing for yourself. I definitely think that happens in the NBA. Absolutely thinks that happens in the NBA. You know, I remember, you know, the year after LeBron left the Cavs, they had, I think it was a record. I don't know. But I think they lost 26 in a row the year after um, LeBron. Yeah, left that's the, the I think that's the, that's the in regular season record. Not right. Not, not carrying over to, I think someone has maybe Philly has 28, but that carried it went from one season to another. Right. Um, but yeah, that 26 after I remember looking that up that it was after he LeBron had left there. So um, I had moved to Miami to work for ESPN, um, cover the heat, but I had come back uh, during the holidays uh, back home. And so I went up to see the Cavs at a practice and they had lost the night before. And this at the point they had like maybe lost 10 or 12 in a row. It was, you know, around the new year. And I remember it was like a Saturday morning. Winter had gripped Cleveland. It was snowy, frigid outside. They'd been blown off the floor the night before, like just arriving at midseason with no end in sight. And, you know, the heat were taking off. LeBron was starting to dominate. And I came to the practice and there was forget about it for media there. There was like three media members there. It was like Saturday in early January, maybe right after the new year. And I remember um, I went in to see the general manager at the time, Chris Grant. And um, he there was no... <laughs> He just said, come down to my office. There was no, there was no like, you know, I didn't have to like break off from the pack or whatever. And I remember I walked into his office and the lights were out and he was laying on his couch. He had a couch in his office and he was just laying on his couch in the dark, staring at the ceiling. (laughs) And, you know, like, like that year they made this trade that got them Kyrie Irving and they drafted Tristan Thompson. Like they drafted two of the five starters who would end up winning the championship with them a few years later. And they had done the, the sign and trade for, for LeBron that basically later on would help them get Kevin Love. So like they were actually making progress, but it got, it didn't feel that way. You know, I mean, grips of winter, middle of this Miglaw loser streak. And that's the thing, like, so right now in the last couple of games, the Spurs have done something interesting. They have moved Victor Wembanyama to center. He's been playing power forward. They had him start at center the last couple of games. And he, in the first game at center, he had his first ever 20-20 game, 20 points, 20 rebounds. And on Monday night, they get beat by the Rockets in Houston. And look, it's a miserable game. They shoot 82, or they score 82 points. Uh, I mean, 82 points in 2023, I mean, like, (laughs) that's preposterous. And I think they've, they've also had an 84-point game this year. So they've had two games they've scored under 85 points, which is one of the reasons why they're 3-19. and But, you know, Wembenyama had 18 rebounds in this game. I think he had five blocks. And so, like, I know that there's a lot of this. Like, uh, Tim Bontemps wrote a story uh, maybe a week or 10 days ago about the Magic and how they went through a 5-20 and slide last year. But some stuff that happened during that slide helped them pivot into the team that they are this year. We've heard uh, Devin Booker talk about that one miserable year in Phoenix early in his career that framed, you know, and sort of inspired him to 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 pivot his career. 
there's stuff happening in San Antonio, like Wembenyama going to play center. Like I can, I can almost look into the future and see Spears writing a story in Anscape in, you know, that's date, you know, that's dated like, you know, spring of 2025 where Spears is writing about this losing streak and how what's happening in this losing streak will influence Wembenyama. You know, the, the Pistons are in a weirder spot there. There's interesting um, playing time happening between the guards, but Obviously, we've talked about Amen Thompson. Uh, I'm sorry, it's the Sir Thompson who's in um, Sir Thompson who's in um, who's in Detroit. But he's having he's had some real moments this year. Um, so, like, if you're a fan of the team, you're miserable. If you're on the team, you're miserable. Uh, and certainly, like, to chorus, you know, to think about what's going on with, with the Spurs and Pistons right now and put it up against like what's happening with the Pacers and like having they're having this moment. It's hard to compare, but Spears, you've been around the NBA long enough to know that just because a team is losing, it doesn't mean there's not stuff happening. And so yeah. I, uh, I'm i not sitting here saying it's a, it's a sunny day, yeah. but ignoring what's going on, I mean, these guys are still got their sleeves up and they're still working at it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit and interject a little bit and tell you a Chris Grant story. Can I tell you a Chris Grant story? Sure. I played against him in junior college. Is that right? We're in the same conference. So my team was a Foothill College. He went to Kenyatta. And his coach years later actually told me this story. I didn't know it. Uh, my team had a reputation uh, for having gang members on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that if... Are you denying had, that or is that is was that an accurate reputation? We had a reputation. We also had never lost a home game the whole season. And some of these people's friends were in the stands. So they were the first team to beat us at home. And the coach said he called a timeout uh, late in the game, and he told the assistant coach to go outside, get the bus, drive it up to the back of the gym. And he told his players that as soon as they won the game, to just grab their <laughs> I mean, stuff, I'm sorry, <laughs> and, and run out the back and get in the bus and leave. <laughs> and Chris Grant was on that team, right? All right. So, so yeah, so, yeah, man, but that's. You know, it's funny when I got back to the Bay in 2009, the Warriors were terrible like that, right, with Steph Curry. And and I still remember um, Steven Jackson asking for a trade and just how miserable that whole team was. And um, that's why that it's, is it's absolutely always, true. They were a miserable team. They and, were. And it's it's I still people that are from the Bay Area, longtime Warriors fans like they still have PTSD from how bad they were for years and years and years and years. And Warriors fans would always be like, man, if they could just make it to the eight spot, like when getting to the eight spot was like winning an NBA championship. Like, you know, there was a lack of success when, and, and you know, they, they always used to celebrate, uh, run TMC. Them dudes played together for two years. <laughs> right. You swear they played together for 10 years, but, there was just the Warriors fans would go there to see the other team. There was always Lakers fans in the building and that has since changed. And they, you know, you know, they forget that, but it was just a misery that was just, that just hung over that franchise for a long, long time. And I feel that with the wizards now, like I was talking to somebody the other day about, like, I don't know a franchise in a bigger market that has had less success in the NBA than the Washington Wizards, right? Like they haven't done anything really since the 70s. And we always talk about, well, if the Knicks are good, man, it's great for the league. When the 
Lakers are good. It's great for the league. What about if the Wizards were good, right? What what if Washington was good? Like it's the nation's capital. There's a, there's a lot of interesting, you know, historical stories there, and and you just like they just been this. I, I guess there was a Pierce Beal, uh, John Wall thing for a second, but yeah, they reached the second round. I think once or twice. Yeah, that was like, you know. That's like I, there's this feeling like the the same feeling I used to remember at Warriors games is the same feeling I feel at Wizards games now when I go. It's just like this desolate, sad, hopeless place, man. Like they just they can't, you know, biggest news over the last 20 years is Gilbert Arenas bringing a gun into the locker room. That's the thing. Like, uh, Bobby, you remember those teams, those arenas teams. I was I was right there. You know, they played the, the Cavs and LeBron in the playoffs three consecutive years. There was almost no more enjoyable player to watch in the league than Gilbert Arenas. And he had knee injuries, and then he had the the incident, and that short-circuited that run. And then, you know, the, when they had Beal and uh, and Wall playing well, the injuries to John Wall short-circuited that uh, as well. And, you know, I can remember going to the war, the Wizards training camp one year at uh, Virginia Commonwealth in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, I sat and talked with John and, and Bradley, and they were talking about how they were going to beat the Cavs. They thought they were better than the Cavs. I remember LeBron, when I got to Cleveland, like about a week later, LeBron, LeBron giving me a side eye in the locker room and asking me about what they said. You know, they never got there. I think, you know, I think wall got hurt that year i mean yeah the wizards um you know there's it's it's awesome are, are to they be in... are they that team in the nba like we we don't talk about the clippers how we used to we don't talk about the warriors how we used to because they've had some success but the wizards are probably and i mean bobby like the wizards yeah the i mean the, the, detroit the, the detroit detroit is protected because of the stretch they had when they won the championship in, in, in 04 they went to the font you know they had that you know eastern conference stretch I think what four or five in a five years in a row where I they, they went on. to the conference finals six straight years yeah. and they went to the finals twice and once they won it once they lost in game seven. Yeah, so they're protected by that. Um, I think certainly Orlando is protected. Certainly going to the NBA finals and losing to the Lakers Charlotte. and then having a yeah. I mean, the next team would be Charlotte. I would think right. We can talk about them, but they're more competitive. I would say this year. I think seven and fourteen. Under uh, under Steve Clifford, you get Bridges back. Hayward, Brandon Miller's played pretty well. Lamelo's been out for a while, um, but you know Indiana. You know we talked about Indiana for a little while. You know Indiana. Uh, you know Indiana is interesting because it's you know we talk about oh as a rebuild. Well, they didn't. They never really f- experienced the pain like some of these other organizations ex- experience, and that's based on their own doing. Where they got to the first round. You know, you know, seven or eight years just couldn't get out of it. Um, Post Paul George retool with Bogdanovic, guys like that, and then they make the Halliburton trade and get Buddy Heald. Sabonis goes out. They move Brogdon that summer. They took a little bit of a step back, but they. I mean, they made the playoffs in the bubble. Yeah, and they were they were an above five hundred team last year, Brian, before Halliburton got hurt. Yeah. You know, that really went, yeah. and then you, you see where they are, where they see right now. And like, I always say like that, if you want to retool, that's the blueprint, but how many teams can go out and swap an established all-star and Sabonis for one of the 
up and coming young players in, in Tyrese Halbert, those deals just are not out there for Detroit to go out and do. And, and the, you know, maybe they will be, we got fortunate. I'll go real quick. We got fortunate in New Jersey in 0203 to make the Jason kid trade because kid had circumstances in, you know, listen, he, you know, he was coming off a, a, a domestic battery with his wife, uh, Jamana. He'd run his course in Phoenix um, we made a trade for him that none of our owners wanted that Lou Lamorello, who's the president of the Islanders now pushed through and we were able to get Jason Kidd and then add the pieces around him and that turned the organization around. And so that's when you're looking at Detroit and Washington, like who's the one catalyst to come around these young players to kind of get them, you know, or maybe two players to get them over the edge. And you could be waiting around for a long time. I mean, you really can be, um, you know, San Antonio, I, they're in a kind of an, on an Island of them the, on their own because they're, they're using this year really as an experiment. They're loaded with draft assets, cap, uh, cap flexibility. Detroit's really not there. You know, Charlotte's not there. They're, the kitty isn't full like Oklahoma city where you're sitting on mounds of draft picks here. Those teams, both those teams owe picks. So the retooling, rebuilding part, you know, you say, I always say, people say, you know, blow it up. Well, you blow it up. You'd be sitting in the bottom of the standings for a long, long time here if you just think you're going to just try to do this through the draft. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Yeah, I would say that when they made the, the decision to hire Michael Winger, it was basically an admission that they were going to do a major rebuild and that was an understood thing when they traded bradley beal and so you know they, they are in a long process but uh, they also have some talent on that roster you know you look at san antonio when is averaging 20 points t- 10 rebounds and about three blocks a game he's 19 years old he turns 20 in about three weeks like that is promising and you know in three years you might only have three guys left on that that roster. They have all of their draft picks plus picks. Detroit has a number of young players. Washington's in a little bit of a different boat. They have this, they actually have an expensive roster and they're out future uh, draft picks. When they traded Beal, they weren't able to get a bevy of first round picks. So their, their path is a little bit, um, a little bit rockier, but um, I think they're going to be one of the teams, Bobby, that we watch over this next six weeks as we build up towards trade season. Yeah. Um, yep. 
teams can start to get to do trades. Um, well, they can do trades now, but December 15th is when the players, most of the players who signed last summer can start to be traded. The, and Brian, you know who I got my eye on with the Spurs? Yeah. Who? Keldon Johnson. I, yeah. I, I keep hearing this buzz about not sure if he fits in well with this group going forward and should he be coming off the bench and I mean, like for a team like Golden State, if he's a player that they could pry away, that could give him, you know, that 16 to 20 points on any given night, I, I think that's a guy that they definitely should go after. But that if, if there is a player that I think does get moved from the Spurs, my, my guess it'll probably be Keldon Johnson. Yeah, I think one of the things who, who we I talked, really like. Yeah, well, he's on a very good contract too, Bobby, right? He signed a pretty good contract before last yeah, it's like season. four for four for 80 somewhere around there 20 yeah. million dollar number here i mean they've got a bunch of i mean they've got a bunch of veterans uh mcdermott uh osman you know guys like that that could help um you know really good playoff playoff uh teams i mean the same with the wizards i mentioned you know with you know tyus jones and danilo galinari muscala guys like that you know we're going to hear a lot about kyle kuzma who can be traded um starting january 15th um, because yeah. he has a little bit of a different trade restriction but I mean, Kyle's contract descends. Those contracts are of huge value in this era when the cap likely will go, will go up, and that number is going will be eighteen million dollars in the last year of his of his deal. Yeah, in the case of uh, Kuzma, I mean, I'm not sure that they would admit to this right now, but the moment that they signed the Kuzma contract, I think it was signed to be able to be traded because. You know, they knew they wanted to keep him, but they didn't necessarily think that they were going to build the whole organization around him. But but they but they knew he had value. So, well, it's almost like the same thing, Brian, in Portland with Jeremy Grant. You know, I mean, we talked a lot about it when, you know, when Lillard, when Damian asked to be traded on what was the first of July and everybody's like, oh, wait a minute. They just committed to uh, Jeremy Grant like 12 hours before. Why would you commit? Now we can debate the number, right? The number is whatever. Five for one. They gave him a five year. I'm not sure that that was somewhere around there. That might, that's another talking point, but they may trade them, but it wasn't a contract (laughs) that was designed to be traded. Uh, Yeah. So you could, you know, that's another guy that, you know, he's out right now. I think he had a concussion, but he had been playing really well, you know, basketball there. Well, so I mentioned earlier that there's this really big sort of middle class in the NBA. And so it makes it hard to identify which teams are going to be sellers. There's just usually not that many sellers. Like for example, Toronto was on the bubble. Right now, they're like a, a you know a bubble play-in team, and you can talk about Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, but you don't know what they're going to do. Chicago is a team that they were way down at the bottom, and now they've won for their last five. They did lose to Milwaukee on Monday night in overtime, but um, um, you know, you question like, are they going to sell Alex Caruso? Are they going to sell? Uh, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine's already on the market, but harder to trade. These teams we've been talking about, San Antonio, Washington, Portland, Detroit, would seem like more sellers. So if you talk about, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich, whose contract was extended last year in a way that I think makes him attractive in trade. You talk about Spears says Kelvin Johnson. You talk about Kyle Kuzma, Tyus Jones, Jeremy Grant. These are players who you could see actually be moved because, um, their teams aren't going anywhere this year. Who was uh, the and- last Bobby might know this on top of his head? Like I still remember when Nene signed that big deal with Denver and then got traded to Washington. I think in December. Uh, no, it was like- actually at the deadline. It was like oh, was the last the trade. Okay. Like the yeah. deadline came and they were like, "Okay, that's it for trades." And then like 
20 minutes later, it was like, oh, Nene has been traded to Washington. Yeah. I remember that very, well, very, very well. How often does that happen? Like, when was the last time that happened? That doesn't happen too often, right? Where a guy yeah, with the, a with, I mean, we hey, we did it in New Jersey with Chris Humphreys. You know, Chris got, Chris you know, Humphreys. A, a huge, but I mean, Chris got like one year, like, you know, 14, 15 million dollars. And the intention was that you could use it as a big trade chip. I think those, Wasn't you know, we went. Was that the first uh, guy that uh, dated Kim Kardashian? Dated. They, they got wedding. married. They got married. I went to yeah. the marriage. I went to the wedding. Is that right? What was I that? Did. What was that situation? Well, yeah, yeah. Funny, Tell us the, that story. The, the funniest. Well, my wife is, you know, was thrilled, right? You get the invitation. I said, I think something's coming in the mail, right? Here comes the invitation. It's in a big box. It's got all the instructions. You got to call the hotel. Here's the al alias you got to use. This is where we're registered at. I said, don't buy anything. I think you're going to be divorced in three months. You know, you got that, that <laughs> rule there. You were right. Um, that was the year. Well, what we, was the hotel? What was the, what was the whole? We procedure? were out in Santa Barbara. Um, but you had to give, uh, you know, princess Jasmine's, uh, that was the name of the, um, the, of the alias, as far as who the, the wedding party was under, you had to, um, you met at a, a, a remote location. You couldn't bring your phone. You got, um, bus to the, um, to the wedding. I sat next to Steve Garvey on the bus. It was tremendous yeah. talking Dodger stories. Um, the year before, um, we had tried to get Carmel Anthony in a trade, and uh, I showed up with a white tuxedo. Carmelo showed up with a white tuxedo. I said to him, you ruined my life for six months. Now you got to show up at the wedding with the same tuxedo. <laughs> and um, but it was it was it was tremendous, you know, for people who, you know, like that people magazine type experience there to, to kind of go through that. Well, okay, so wait a minute, there, man. I need more details of this. Later. Well, we, another know, thing Spears, too is we were just, on we were on we were that was during the lockout. That was during the lockout. He just breezes past the witch doctor. He breezes <laughs> yeah. past Princess Jasmine. Come on, Bobby. Let's hear it. Let well, I want you know every what? detail about this. It was you know it was during the 2011 lockout too. We had to get all had to get permission um, to go the league because you're uh, not allowed to talk to players. No, nope, we weren't allowed. The, the funny thing is, me and my wife got there a little bit late. They're radio and they're basically, you know, um, seating you where your ticket is. Everyone from the Nets was basically in the grandstand section, right? <laughs> we we didn't have seats and we basically wound up getting 50 yard line seats to, to this wedding where the two of us sat on a koi pond. It wasn't actually seats, but we were at center court, man. Like you go back and watch those documentaries of the wedding. We're sitting there and I'm there with my white tuxedo on and everything, but it was one of those once in a lifetime experiences, you know. Okay, you, wait you, a minute. Did you buy a white tuxedo or did you rent the white? I tuxedo? rented a. I rented one out in Santa Barbara. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. So and what would? There? And what give, went give into the? the what went into the decision to get an all white tuxedo? Yeah. You know what? I don't know. I just wanted to be different. <laughs> oh my god. So who was there? Who do you remember? Like who was Serena? Serena Williams was there. Okay. Um. You know, certainly most of our Brooke was there. Um, Obviously, who Lala else was there? Um, who cooked? Bobby Flay cook. Um, okay. You know, it's it's you know, let's just say the um, the Porta Johns were not your typical Porta Johns here. Like there was the big <laughs> they rolled in the trailers, um, but it was it was a once in a lifetime. Um, you know, it was one of those once in a you couldn't you couldn't turn that down, right? The funny thing, flying home from California, I sat next to Stedman Oprah's. Um, I guess I don't know if it's her husband, but <laughs> he was, was my, there? he, no, but he just sat next to me on the floor. And I got both. I got a double dose of um, the wedding scene celebrities. And then the coming home, he got to sit next to me on the American Stedman flight. flies commercial Spears. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nah, Bobby must have been sitting there first. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, of course. But I mean, yeah, Stedman yeah. was flying commercial. I mean, you know. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that time because Oprah wasn't there. That's why he had to right. go somewhere without her. Wow. Oh man, that's amazing. Um, who was the best? Who was the best man and the best that made honor? Do you remember? Oh, I think his best man was his buddy Josh, um, who was also who was an agent during the uh, during the um, that Chris had here. I don't know who the made up. Courtney sisters. Yeah, one of the sisters. Um, <laughs> But three, you know, four months later, that was it. Was all she wrote, you know? That was it. Yeah. Married in the summer, divorced in October. Wow. wow. How about that? Made for difficult. Tr- okay, he was in the lockout. It was, it was all happening in the lockout. The this was all the in the divorce. lockout. Yep. So you, you, you actually should have been fine for talking to Carmelo. <laughs> yeah, I think that was over. The famous uh, the meeting with Carmelo yes. was hereby canceled. Yeah. For, that was uh, we were on. Rush. We were on to Dwight following year. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, I do remember Blake Griffin signing the contract yeah. with the with the Clippers, um, and I remember he had he had scheduled a meeting with the uh, with the Phoenix Suns. This whole podcast is going down memory lane. People are probably tuned oh, out. This, a long is, this time is no, this is they want to hear this more than. Uh, and uh, you remember he, uh, he, you know, it was like very publicized that he would he was going to meet with the Suns, and then the Clippers gave him a five year, um, a five year supermax or you know contract yeah. and they hired michael winger away from the the thunder a few like a month or so later and winger got there and i think you know without talking outside of school basically said thank you for hiring me um your decision to sign blake griffin this summer was terrible and we got to get rid of him immediately <laughs> and um they traded him you know that you know within a couple of months of that deal, Spears. So that, I mean, they didn't sign that deal with the intention of trading him, hmm. but like Winger, you know, Lawrence Frank was running the organization. But I know that when Winger got in there, he was like, "Look, we got to move off of Blake Griffin," and it started the process that within yeah. you know eighteen. Uh, Blake or was so, real bitter about that too. Yeah. Of course, I you know they, they had told yeah. him like I think when they they said you you know your your number is going to be in the rafters here and everything, and you know I certainly remember when he came back to his first Clippers game. Steve Ballmer waiting oh, yeah, for him yeah, courtside yeah. to try to talk to him and Blake he just totally off. snubbing him. Now I would say if a guy's worth like, you know, $75 billion or whatever he was, yeah, then you might listen to him. You might want to just take, take the handshake. Uh, and by yeah. the way, that fifth year of the contract, which was a gift because Blake was had the knee injuries and then he ended up sort of doing a buyout and leaving a lot of it on the table, Bobby, to get out of Detroit so he could go play yeah, most for the, of that for the fifth, Nets. Most of that fifth year back. And then yeah. you always thought, hey, like, listen, he plays well in Brooklyn because the Nets had signed him that he can earn some of it back the following year. And then I think he did another minimum deal and then goes to the Celtics here. And he, yeah. he's made a lot of money in his career. But Yeah, I'm not worried got, about Blake. Yeah, but, he never you know, got – yeah, yeah. One of the things about that deal was he got the fifth year. That was why he sort of did the saber rattling that he was going to go sign with the Suns. And then the Suns, Robert Sarver was all upset because he got used, which the whole league could read it. But anyway, the point is, you know, it's not it, it's been seen before where guys have been have signed a long term contracts, had the lovely press conference, been all excited and then traded, you know, not too long afterwards, you know. Dumped like uh, Chris Humphreys by Kim Kardashian. Do you um, remember the T-shirt though? The no. T-shirt that the Clippers employees wore to get to entice Blake to sign that five-year, one hundred seventy-three million dollar deal. I don't. They wore a T-shirt uh, that had Blake Griffin on the top, surrounded by. Oh yes. Surrounded by Muhammad Ali, Martin Luther King, 
JFK, Obama, Nelson Mandela, Einstein, Abraham Lincoln, and Gandhi. And <laughs> Bottom of the T-shirt, it said "Pioneers" oh that they wore during the meeting. L.A. Pioneers. Oh my God, I do remember that. I'm still confused. Why was Gandhi an L.A. pioneer? I mean, same with all of them, right? Why was Obama an L.A. pioneer? Lincoln. Einstein. Yeah, I, Lincoln. I I don't think Lincoln ever went to Los Angeles. Yeah, <laughs> Mandela. Certain. Well, Mandela might have gone to L.A., but that certainly wasn't where he was a pioneer. LA I mean, pioneers. that's amazing. So who yeah. approved that? <laughs> who approved that? I mean, didn't, did Bomber on the team at the time? This is 2017. Yes, absolutely yeah, yeah. he did. I got to yeah. ask him if he still has one of those T-shirts. I'll bet he does. Sure? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Blake has one. Well, that's the thing. So the point is, you know, the way you feel in July isn't the way you feel in December. And that's been the history of the NBA. So, but Bobby, you were telling us beforehand, I know you have a piece coming out this week about guys who can get traded that while we pay attention to December 15th, because the whole league, most of the league can get traded. Then you don't see a lot of deals this time of year. Uh, no, anyway. no, we haven't. We haven't seen, you know, certainly you look back in the last two years, um, there's been no trades in the month of December, um, 37 trades in total the last two years, 31 of those came the week of the trade deadline. You know, everybody reacts when there's a deadline. Um, certainly we saw, you know, last year, the Rui Hachimura trade mid January was one of the, I guess, bigger ones. And that kind of set the wheels in motion for how the Lakers began to, to retool their roster. But, you know, Kyrie and KD and, you know, players like that were all moved during the week. And it, and we, you know, we've got the, G League showcase coming up in Orlando next uh, next week, the week of the nineteenth, uh, and that's kind of like the the ba the winter meetings for you know the NBA. If you're looking at it from a baseball comparison, where you've got a lot of executives in in one building, some of the ch uh, chatter starts to to get going here as far as who could become um, available and who's you know. I mean, we're still twenty five games into it, so teams are still trying to figure out who they are. As you said, Brian, there's a lot of these teams that are like twelve and ten or. 12 and 11 and teams kind of jumbled up in the, um, you know, in, in the standings here, but um, it will be interesting because, you know, we saw some of the big names Harden and holiday and Lillard traded to high spending teams. And <clears throat> this is really the last deadline before the new rules, the harsh rules begin to take place, um, you know, starting next off season, we'll see who kind of takes advantage of that. Yeah. I mean, I've just been looking at, you know, what teams, you know, could, you know, make, uh, make significant moves. A, a lot of the, uh, there's quite a few teams that literally have nothing to trade. Like the, the Timberwolves are the right now, the, although they did get beat by the Pelicans well, on Monday night, even Milwaukee, Brian, I mean, yeah, Milwaukee, you, you, Milwaukee, you know, I hear you like people are saying, well, Alex Crusoe would be, yeah, Alex Crusoe would be great in all 2019, you know, 29 or 30 teams here, but right. what do you got? Milwaukee has the Blazers second round pick this year. Like literally that's all they have to trade. Yeah. You want to um, trade Pat Connaughton or Bobby Porter's or one of those, players? Yeah. you know, that's, um, that's the way you have to look at it. You know, I yeah, think the, the, the Timberwolves literally have nothing to trade. Uh, the Cavs, they can trade the contract of Ricky Rubio. Yeah. You no, know, they just, you know, the Suns. the Suns have traded every first round pick. They have a couple of second round picks that are not there, but they've traded all of their second round picks. All the swaps, um, they there's like they can trade just a couple of minimum guys. Um, you know, uh, the 
you know, and then there's the teams that have a lot to trade. Philly, I think, can trade up to four first round picks if they had to. And they have tens of millions on their books and expiring contracts. Uh, the Thunder have all those first round picks they can trade. Um, the uh, uh, the uh, Knicks have, I think they can, they have uh, seven tradable first round picks they and have, that big they have fournier all, yeah and the fournier and, contract and fournier's uh, expiring oh. contract um uh you know even the heat the heat have multiple first round trip picks and kyle lowry so there are teams out there that are flush to trade but there's quite a few contenders that are really there's not much that they can do the warriors what do you think about could, chris paul's contract well, that's know. a big question, you know. Uh, well, right, first off, right now the Warriors are outside the in-season turn or the in outside the uh, play-in tournament line. Yeah, they're below five hundred, um, and so the question is, you know, would they be willing to use Chris Paul's contract as a expiring contract? Like, would they be willing to take on money with you know being hugely committed to the future? I don't know the answer to that. I think it would depend on the trade. Um, my guess is probably not because. You'd have to look at yourself in the mirror and think that this team was worth going into that. And I don't know if they can come to that conclusion, Bobby, but that's a team that, you know, they have Kuminga, they have Moses Moody, they have expiring contracts. Like they could get into the game for a major trade because of all that. I, I just don't know if they will. And that, and there's a bunch of teams sort of sitting in that middle ground. Uh, you know, I would say that um, I'm not optimistic about there being a very uh, super active trade deadline, Bobby. No, I think you're right. I mean, you know, Oklahoma City, everyone will point to as far as where they are in the standings. And but the one, you know, you, when you start, you know, for me, when I'm starting writing, you know, trade deadline and questions is like I always say is the, is the locker room mature enough to handle somebody from the outside? Right. That roster is built within, you know, the Gilgis Alexander was traded here, but the primarily primarily uh, that roster is built through the draft. They don't normally go out and add, you know, they did the Paul George trade, but high level guys outside of their own family. Bertans is a role player here and that's not kind of their MO as far as how they've kind of gone out and, and, um, and done business. Like, I mean, you know, you're, you're interested in teams like Houston, right? Where is Houston kind of sitting at 500 in the play in Oladipo's contract, they've got some draft capital. Is Orlando ready to kind of take another step or are they content where they are right now? I think 16 and 17, they've got some expirings. They've got some draft picks to go out and trade. Um, they've got some caps, but Indiana, we've talked about in the beginning, Indiana is a great example here. They've got $10 million in cap space. They've got draft equity. They've got a bunch of expiring contracts, you know, we all talk about, you know, the, um, you know, cap space and free agency, but it's not a great group of free agents this offseason here. Siakam's probably one of the top. OG's one of the top guys here. DeRozan, you know, we don't put LeBron in that equation. Tobias Harris, you know, you know Drew Holiday might sign an extension. He could come off what the about, board. What do you do with Miles Bridges? Yeah, Miles Bridges is another thing. You know, Miles Bridges is on an expiring contract in Charlotte, one-year deal. He doesn't have much trade value because his bird rights gets eliminated if he gets traded to another team. Also, he's so, got pending yeah, legal issues. Yeah. So there's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of things up in the air. So I think it's you, when you're looking at the trade market, you're looking at those kind of those in, as you, Brian, you said, those in between teams, those kind of, you know, those Houston's of the world, maybe Indiana, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happened Detroit, those type of teams, but 
there's 442 players under contract. You know, it's not like we're sitting on like 3000 players and we can just start moving, you know, pieces around. Well, I would say that, you know, in the sort of the final analysis of where we're at right now, it's very scattershot. Um, we can't tell what teams are going to be sellers. We can identify the possible buyers, but we we're going to have a hard we're having a hard time right now seeing how the buyers and sellers mix. We're not really sure, you know, whether certain teams are going to be willing to spend more. We're not sure whether certain teams are going to be looking to cut salary. Um, chase, you know, chasing picks in this draft is not, you know, if you have. You know, I think like the Knicks could have, I don't, they won't, but the Knicks could have up to four firsts in this draft. I think they're going to end up mm. with two, but people don't want picks in this draft. Yeah. They're not excited about this draft. So outside of the top, what, two, five, I mean, maybe? Gavoni was like most of the, I think he said, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm pretty sure he said most of the top five right now are role player projections in the NBA. I mean, well, we're not I'm, in I'm June. A, I'm going to say this. Ron Holland, I saw him play the other day at like 32, 18 year old. Gee, he's a good player. He's a real yeah. good player. Well, he's then, been he he got off to a rough start with the ignite yeah. and fell really far in Gavoni's yeah. latest mock draft. And that so, kid in in the French kid playing in Australia, I don't know why. Oh, Sar. Yeah, he's he. I think will initially be a role player just because he's raw. But this is a seven one player with bounce, can shoot threes, can guard all five positions. I think he actually has a chance to be pretty special. Yeah, but there's nobody right now. But there's no depth. No, like. Well, there's nobody right now, like thinking, okay, we're on the fence, so let's tank to get in the high lottery. No, 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 no. You no, know, right. so that's you're, you're right. So it's just Jonathan's a it's right a too, it's think. a very scattershot trade market, and obviously we'll talk a lot about it and it'll develop. But it's not something right now where I'm like, okay, everybody, clear your schedules the first yeah. week of February. We're going to have to, we're going to bear down. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Before we go, Spears, I know you were interested in talking about Zion. Zion had one of the most disappointing games of his career. The uh, most. The most on Thursday uh, in uh, in the in-season tournament semifinals against the Lakers. And then comes back on Monday night in his first game back and has arguably his best game of the season. Scored a season-high 36. They get the Pelicans look completely different. 
and they get uh, a win over the the uh, Timberwolves. They were at home, but the Timberwolves were seventeen and four. Um, and that was yeah. a, an an impressive win. And I want to read what Zion said after the game because you know Zion is obviously a high profile um, player, and how he plays is frequently discussed. And he was a little bit discussed in the off season when there was a possibility that the you know the Pelicans kind of denied it but you know he was briefly thought about uh as a possible trade but you know he got heavily criticized by people after that performance on thursday and so here's what he said after his 36 point performance on monday night he said if the criticism comes from a great place in a place where you just want to see me do better thank you but if it comes from anywhere else everybody's entitled to their own opinion and you can't control that it's been like that since I was 16 years old. If I want to be one of the best players in the league, we don't win in a big moment or something bad happens. That's to be expected. I'm just glad we responded. That's what he said. Well, I, I think from our my place, and I assume yours, I think we just, I'm expecting greatness from him, you know? And uh, I go to a lot of games in New Orleans. I got family there. So, I'm, so I think the whole city of New Orleans has been waiting for special since his arrival. And I saw the win the Kings gave up to the Pelicans and sack. And he designed didn't have a great game, but the Pelicans got him to that final four. And I I think I was rooting for him to have that moment. You know what I mean? That moment we've been waiting for on such a huge stage, playing against LeBron, uh, what it would have meant to the franchise. And it's it's one thing to lose, but to lose like that and to say, man, I just, I, I could have given more effort. I think that was probably could have been as crushing a loss to the Pelicans uh, as they've had since he's arrived. I mean, sure. Games he's gotten injured have been, but, but there was just, uh, there was so much hope and then so much embarrassment from that loss. So I, I, I think by that quote, he kind of understands that, there's a lot of people that are expecting great things from him, and um, that could have been a, a really shining moment that didn't take place. Well, I do have a rooting interest when it comes to the NBA, and that is what's good for the league. Yeah, um, Individual teams, I don't really care so much about, but I want the league to do well. Because if the league does well, those of us who are tied to the league do well. Okay? Yeah. I mean, that's just the truth. Um I want Zion Williamson and John Morant to be successful because they are young yeah. American potential superstar players that can carry the league. They are guys who you want to see play. They can do things that are amazing. And, you know, they're also both from the same area. They're both from South Carolina. They're, you know, they're connected. Um, and so both of them have shown incredible promise and both of them are, you know, for various reasons, not getting it done. You know, Ja is going to be back in a week, Bobby. Uh, the the Grizzlies, as of just doing this podcast, they're 10 games under 500. They're six games out of the last play-in spot in the West, and they're one in 10 at home. Uh, there's a, and, and that is, by the way, after having gotten a few wins recently. They picked up a couple of wins right before the in-season tournament uh, break. But um, uh, they've dug themselves a pretty big hole. It's not all related to Ja. They've had other injuries. But, like, you know, right now New Orleans is in 10th. And Memphis is in, you know, 
13th, but pretty far back. Like, that's not what the NBA needs. The NBA needs those guys to be playing each other on Christmas, not, you know, being considered big disappointments slash embarrassments. No, no, you're right. I mean, I think, you know, Memphis is going to be, you know, just interesting to how much can they dig themselves out? I mean, they were in a hole to begin with, with the Steven Adams injury. Then you have, you know, certainly jaw suspension. They've had, you know, one of the teams that have signed guys to these hardship exceptions because their, their roster, Luke Kennard. I mean, the, the injuries, you've got Derek Rose starting at point guard. You've the fortunate and Brandon Clark still out. Fortunately, you know, you've gotten really good games, you know, level of games from Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. Saw that in the, in the Dallas loss on Monday night, both guys scored, think 70 points combined but it's like where where else what else is coming you're, you were you're hoping you ever seen for... a hardship exception in uh november i think it was in november maybe the f- first couple COVID. of december <laughs> covid when we had all okay, those COVID, COVID, yeah those all COVID right hard, yeah. all those guys got a a, a a job for a couple weeks here but no not that early and you know certainly um, you know, Memphis is going to be a team you circle certainly even this week here because they're going to have to make a decision with Bismarck Biombo or another roster spot to keep him who's played. He started for them um, here, but Memphis is going there. They are in a tough spot just because of how that Western conference is. This, it's, it's very deep. As you said, you got Golden State sitting at 11 right now. Uh, Houston's in the top 10 um, teams that didn't make the playoffs last year. Are now in that that grouping here. Um they're going to be basically have to go string along, you know, seven or eight in a row just to kind of, you know, get back in it. Since we've gone down memory lane so much, do you remember those weeks in that season where these teams would have to like shut down because of COVID and stuff? And oh like if, if you if you were like a, a fringe NBA player and you had COVID, it was like I, a plus. I, I remember. You know, I remember. The agents were like, hey, my my guys had COVID. All right. Sign him and bring him in. I, I, rem- I, re- I mean, I'm sitting at my desk and it's like I'm having like deja vu flashbacks. I remember getting calls from agents who are who were G League uh, uh, agents of G League players saying to me, Bobby, I got four choices to make. Run, run through them for me. I got these four teams are basically bidding on my guy to get there on a on a ten day hardship yeah. ten day. And, you know, created an extra hundred, hundred jobs. I mean, it, it was a, I mean, it was a crazy period. And, and those kind of, and we, I mean, we go back, maybe we do a documentary on it like five years from those guys kind of kept the league afloat for like two or three weeks when it was oh, yeah. such, and it was right around this time of year during the G league showcase out in Vegas, because I remember, I think Mark was out there too in 2000, was it 21? Yeah. 21. I think where remember guys were just leaving. Right. Like there were no like teams were just, you know, there were teams that would go out there. You'd see guys in the airport flying home. They had just got there. No, we need in Chicago. There's four there. One team, uh, Grand Rapids had eight guys, you know, because guys were just scattered about because so many NBA players had caught COVID that they needed basically reinforcements. And the G League kept the G League kept the NBA kind of going for that. They didn't have that shutdown moment where the whole league shut down for two. Because we all talked about, man, the league's got to shut down. We need like a yeah. two or three week pause. Didn't that here, kind of but... make Juan Toscano Anderson's career too? What's that? Like Juan Toscano Anderson, I think, kind of benefited from that. Oh, and... there were a lot of guys. And I mean, the, there the, were a the... lot of guys that just kind of got that exposure that they wouldn't have gotten um, under any yeah. other year. That's I mean, we a never... good story idea, man. I don't know. Yeah, there's your documentary. How the G League kept them. How the G League kept the NBA alive yeah. in the 21-22 season. <laughs> that was great. All right. Well, we'll we'll be seeing it. Will be interesting to see when uh, Ja comes back next week. Um, 
and uh, we'll see if Zion can keep it up. But um, thanks for going down memory lane, guys. Uh, yeah, that Bobby was fun. What, what was <laughs> yes. the alias again, Bobby? Uh, Princess Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. We can do one of these. We can do that a twenty-four a hour on these on these on these Princess stories Jasmine here. There's a stars. there's a lot in the kitty here. You know, we got a lot of these things. <laughs> I want to hear more about the witch doctor. Uh, I wonder if Miguel uh, Jackson said. I wonder if Miguel Cabrera has a cousin who can come in and save the Pistons. <laughs> wow. Well, it didn't help. Twelve and seventy. <laughs> oh, oh boy. All right. Thanks for listening to the Collective Podcast. Thank you to Mark. Thank you to Bobby. Thank you to Jackson. We'll talk to you later in the week. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.